I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. G'day folks and welcome to Australian UFO Sightings official podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and you're listening to Encounters Down Under. Here we invite guests on the show to tell us about their encounters with aliens and UFOs, where most of our episodes were streamed live from our Facebook page, which gave listeners the opportunity to ask questions to our guests regarding their encounter. If you have had an encounter and would like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch with us. You can send us a message through our Facebook page, Encounters Down Under, or send us an email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. Be sure to join us on Facebook and share with your friends and family to help us grow, and hopefully encourage others to come forward with their encounter. If you're an iTunes listener and a fan of the show, why not give us that five-star rating and review, and you could have your review featured on the podcast. But enough of that, let's get into what you've been waiting for. So kick back, relax with your favourite beverage, and enjoy the show. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Encounters Down Under. We have Steve joining us on the show to talk about strange objects he's encountered over the years and was able to share the experiences with multiple witnesses. He also goes on to talk about how these encounters led him down the path to research UFOs that continues to lead him down deeper into the rabbit hole. So please welcome to the show, Steve. G'day Steve, welcome to the show. Yeah, hey, g'day Anthony, thanks for having me on. No, it's good mate, good having you on there mate. Thanks for getting in touch mate. Um, you approached me there and uh, you said you've um, had a few experiences yourself there and you sort of delved into the whole phenomenon um, over the years there. Mate, you want to go and talk to us about that? Yeah, look, I suppose um, it all started when I was about eight years old. I'd, uh, I used to watch the sci-fi movies, cartoons and docos and, and such. Um, and then I started watching certain cartoons like the Jetsons, Flintstones, you think, and then they start to introduce aliens into the show and you think, What's going on here? Why have they introduced this into a, a rock cartoon show? Um, and other shows like My Favourite Martian, Lost in Space, I've a fair interest in that as well. And then um, it's sort of 
the alarm bells didn't ring until I watched a show called uh, Chariots of the Gods, which quite a few people have seen, the Eric Von Denigan show. And uh, from there, it's just sort of it got pulled, pulled me down the rabbit hole, I suppose. I, as much as information as I could get, um, as a kid anyway, I used to read, watch whatever, movies. Um, I used to follow it from there. Um, and I, I, you know, to me, I'd, we haven't been told the truth, and I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather dispute that truth with fact. So uh, I just keep going down rabbit holes. Yeah, because there's a lot to it, isn't there? And like, it doesn't matter which path you sort of go on; it just keeps looping around somewhere, or just diverse or different fork in the road, and you just don't know which path to sort of take it to, whether it's going to tell you the truth or not. Yeah, well, that's it. You know what these. I suppose superiors or people are watching over us have been uh, doing to us, whether our leaders, governments or whatever, what they've been doing. Uh, but it's just a bit hard to say. But, uh, yeah, that's been the general flow of things until I started seeing things when I first sighting was about 18. So That's amazing. So do you want to tell us about that one? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, look, we were, as a mate and I and a couple of others were up at a little place called Chowena up in uh, New South Wales, about this, just out at the back of Bathurst there somewhere. And uh, the parents had a property was right on the river, and it's the, the hut itself was sort of nestled between two fairly high hills, I suppose you'd call them, on the Abercrombie River. Anyway, we just finished having dinner this night, and sitting down having a couple of beers. We were weren't on the drugs or the or a heap of beers or anything. So, uh, and we'd, uh, yeah, look, the weather was fine. The light was starting to fade, so it was starting to get down to about a dusky look in the sky. Not too black, but darkish and you still make out stuff in the sky as it come over not there was much anyway at the time um and we both sat back just looking up the sky next minute this brilliant white light comes over from the east very slowly and it was a circular disc shape and this this craft i'd have to call it a craft because it wasn't a plane or anything else it was just brilliant white i mean if you've ever done your science experiments where you burnt magnesium that's how white it was just glowing white um it came over and as it got to about above us um there was no noise there was no vapors coming off the back of it uh, about 2,000 3,000 feet above us and then um there was no clearance lights on it so it definitely wasn't a plane and then about a kilometer behind it there appeared two f-111s over the jet of the day um, clearance lights on, you could make out the, the profile of the jets and they were following this thing across the sky above us um, until it went out of sight. I mean, the whole thing probably took about uh, 20 seconds from one side where the mountains were or hills from one side to the other. Um, yeah, and that was our experience there, our first experience. And uh, I just looked at the bloke beside me and I said, did you see that? He said, yeah, I saw it. And with most of my, well, nearly all of my experiences here, I've, I've had witnesses with me seeing it. So, um, yeah, that was the first first experience. That's incredible. So, did, like, did the craft like actually do any like sort of weird maneuvers, or was it just travelling in the one path? No, just in one path. It didn't race away from these um, jets or anything. They just stayed within the same distance to each other. Do, um, do you think it might have and, been like chasing it down, or do you think it's sort of maybe like sort of uh, guiding it in a sense, like you know how, like um, uh, I'm trying to get the word now, <laughs> where they travel along with it. Um, yeah, look, 
more or less. I mean, the, the Jets weren't scrambling after it in because they, they were very quiet themselves. They were just purring along behind it. You virtually hear, only just hear the sound of the Jet. It's not as if they were in full thrust chasing after it. And it was it was like it was escorting the Jets. Yeah, that's it. Escorting. I was trying to get escorting. <laughs> to where, to where, where it had to go. I mean, that's the way it appeared. Yeah, okay. That's strange. So any ideas what the, the light might have been? Like if, it like if it was actually like a craft or it could have been a military sort of... Ah, look, it was a circular circular disc. We couldn't make out any lights, windows, um, any other lights, bar that glowing. Um, and the whole thing glowed. There was no... Um, there was, you couldn't see a structure of it. You couldn't see any framework on it. Nothing. Just this glowing flat disc. Yeah, okay. So what are any like, um, rumours or reports throughout the area you're in? Like, are people talking about this at all? Like, surely someone else would have seen it. Uh, look, it's it's a fairly remote area. We didn't sort of pursue it anywhere. We never never spoke about it after that. Ironically, I work with his brother um, 25 years later, 30 years later. And um, I just run the story by him. And I said, do you remember your brother telling you this story? And I, I told him. And he, he said, Archie just looked at me. And he put my hand out. And he said, thank you for telling me that story. Because I thought my brother was friggin' crazy. <laughs> I said... <laughs> I said, I said, well, we both saw it, mate. No one's crazy. Yeah, that's that's amazing, and the fact that um, it's sort of, well, you know, like nothing really said throughout the whole areas, or like you know, that's surely been like some sort of township. There's some sort of report on it. So I'm hoping. Uh, what year was this? Did this happen? If you remember? Uh, yeah, 1976. 76. Yeah, okay. So hopefully March. March. Yep. So hopefully someone listening to this might uh, be in the area there and um, might be able to go and say they saw the same thing too, which would be absolutely awesome and amazing in itself. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I posted the, uh, the sim- this story up on another site. A mate actually read it on Facebook and he uh, he comes, he goes, to, he visits that property as well and had done as a, a younger teenager. And he said, yeah, had seen some weird stuff up there himself. So I'm yet to talk to him about that. So. No, that's cool. Uh, so what other experiences have you had there? All right. I uh, had one in a uh, little... We lived just outside Camden, New South Wales. So we were at my father's place one day. We were at, uh, I think it was his son's first birthday. And again, the weather was clear. There was no cloud cover. Uh, during the afternoon, uh, just looked up and there was probably about know, 15 or 20 of us here, just immediate family. Um, and it just takes extremely bright white that was pulsing across the sky from the... Um, southwest to the northeast and it was flying approximately 3,200 feet, like it's fairly high up where jets, ceiling height Um, and that area generally because um, the the jets turn and then come into mascot from that direction uh, we do get a lot of jets across that way but the thing that caught my eye was it was uh, pulsing, it was was going a white hot, similar to this previous one I spoke about, but it was pulsing and then going dull then pulsing about every two seconds on, every two seconds off. Um, it didn't seem to change shape at all. It just didn't tumble, just went in the one direction. Um, and I pointed it out to a few of the family members there, and as usual with their comments, you're a nutcase, you don't worry about it, it's nothing. <laughs> Probably a satellite. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. but um, So that was yeah, going on... But- Dusk was it? No, that was uh, that was midday. Oh, midday. Okay, yeah. So you definitely. I, I don't think you'd be able to see a satellite from midday there. So it's definitely no. something quite it was, interesting. It was, 
it was too big. I mean, the, the amount of glow that it was putting off every time it like flared or, or lit up was um, yeah, it was probably twice the size of a plane, and then it, it just dulled down and then flared up again. Um, I should have grabbed my dad's welding helmet and probably popped that on and just see if we got a better picture of it. But anyway, yeah. So what was it uh, like? Sort of sitting still, or was it traveling? Oh no, it was traveling. It was just um, just cruising across the sky. Yeah, and just heading towards the Sydney area. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. Like, if it was a plane, like, it definitely wouldn't be having the pulsing going on. Like, that's pretty consistent with um, shape and, you know, the the light reflecting off it. That's pretty consistent in that sort of aspect. So, yeah, the, the pulsing sort of is interesting. Like, it's, it's um, I don't know. Do you think it could, like, it could have been, like, trying to pulse some sort of message to somewhere else, maybe, like, using, like, you know, like a Morse code, in a sense? Look, whether it was just a propulsion system doing that or whether it was a... Um the sun just hitting a surface on it and just flaring at that time. And yep. we were getting the reflection down on the ground. Maybe I don't, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it was just, it wasn't a standard plane or, or something flying that type of thing. Yeah. That, that's all right. I'm probably reaching out a bit far on it, trying to like sort of get a bit of an idea of what this could be. Um, yeah. Like what about like even um, maybe like Mylar balloon, maybe? Um, look, it may have been, but yeah, the way it just flared, was um, a bit unusual. That sort of thing that caught, like I said, caught my eye. How it reacted. Yeah, no, that's fair enough too. Like, there's a lot of things that, like, um, things do get mistaken in the sky there. And but the other thing is, like, we don't have the um, right equipment there to sort of try and capture it or you know just get a better look at it. We're not really going to know either way. Yeah, I think like most of these events that I went through, I had the early phone with the old Nokia seventy one twenty or whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have, didn't have the real good camera on it anyway, but. No, either uh, way, there's yeah. still a lot of things that's, that's amazing in the sky either way. So it's a strong possibility. It could have been very much a... Um, like I don't know if you've seen the orbs that um, the travel across the sky. Yeah, that, that was my next one. Yeah, next one. All oh, right, I'll, I'll let you go and continue on then. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that was that event. Uh, yeah, Bathurst. I know we normally go as a group up to Bathurst races every year in October. So this was in 7th of October, 2010. Um. And the race format up there is uh, they race on from Thursday through to uh, Sunday, practice for three days, then they race. So we're sitting, there was two of us, mate and I, sitting on the what they call Mountain Straight corner down where Pit Straight turns up to Mountain Straight. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning, sober as judges, no drugs or alcohol. So we just uh, watch it. They finished one practice session um, and there was a bit of a lull in the program. So I just laid back a bit on the chair, looked up. And I just noticed coming over the top of the mountain, if you're familiar with the track at all, no. there's um, there was three orbs coming over the top of the track. Now, the the weather at the time was like a cumulonimbus cloud formation, but it had breaks in it, and it was fairly high. It wasn't down low um, where you obscure your vision or anything. Um, so we, I just watched these things for a couple of seconds, and I just elbowed the mate. I said, have a look at these. Anyway, um, as I come closer, I sort of took a lot of notice of how they were formed and what, what they looked like. I mean, the, there was no wind or anything that day. It was dead calm. It was warm, even though it was cloudy. Uh, these things would have been, uh, look, I reckon 20, 25 feet in diameter each, uh, probably twelve foot high. They were like a, they were, and they were a, um, a torus, like a fat donut, 
if you can imagine that. Yep. So in the center of them, there was a, a nerve system. Looked like a nerve system. You can imagine nerves in that hole of the donut. There was a nerve system in there, and it was a they were all pastel colours that linked the top to the bottom. Um, and each one was about thirty or forty metres back away from the next one. Now, as they come over the top of the mountain, they come along, and then they stepped out ninety degrees, in turn, went along for about thirty metres, stepped back in line again, and headed off again. It was like they were controlled. And then each of them did the same thing as they come past and over the top of the track. As they got to pretty much overhead, uh, I just tried to take a photo of what was there. Um, as usual, nothing turns out. So I raced down the front to the guy with the big telescopic lens camera that was taking track shots. I said, mate, can you just get some shots of these things up here? And he sort of looked at me, looking at me like I've got two heads. And um, I don't know whether he, he caught them or not. I, I didn't get back to him to... Um, to see then i went back to my mate where, where my mate was sitting i said uh i said they're still here have a look at this above us and as we looked up there was a break in the cloud we looked up in the cloud uh, through the cloud where the, the break was and there was a brilliant white light now that light was sitting there at about 32 uh feet like the ceiling height of jets it was just sitting there wasn't moving and next in turn these things come up to the break of the cloud and then just went vertical, in turn, up towards that white light. Now, I, I can't explain how they were manoeuvred, um, how they were controlled, what they were. Um, they were all identical. And I judged the size of the, the orbs by a helicopter that was getting around at the time, and the helicopter was almost as high as them. And these things were nearly twice the size of, of the helicopter. Uh, they were translucent. You could see virtually see through them, but there was no mechanical parts. There was no uh, shape of a ship or anything, just an orb. And it just fascinated me. These things um, followed each other um, and did what they did. Absolutely amazing. That is amazing. So the, do you think the whole nerve system was like connecting them into like one craft maybe, or is it just like some sort of strange... Well, concept or how they maneuver whether i don't know whether it's yet the energy inside these things that um the control it i don't know i don't you know it's you think there would need to be something mechanical there one yeah. to propel them um one to connect them to an external craft or a mother craft or something um but that's that's the description i saw them as you know they were you know this just this nerve system running through the middle and each of the nerves was sort of a different pastel color um, yeah, very unusual. It is like I've heard people that um, claiming they're like seen flying jellyfish in a sense. Um, yeah, you know they're they're translucent, but you can see like sort of like a same sort of thing, like a nerve system, you know, running through their bodies, or and that's about all you can really see besides the translucent body, hmm. which is yeah, was, strange. Yeah, there was no like tentacles like these. I've, I've probably heard of or seen pictures of these other ones but um, there was no tentacle system running underneath it they were just these donuts <laughs> fat translucent donuts going through the sky and you'd, you'd think if they were weather balloons or some balloon that got away that they wouldn't mimic each other in what they did and particularly go from one altitude to another so like stop and then go from one altitude to the next up to where that um, bright light was it just blew me away 
Yeah, it sort of makes me wonder, like, why send them up one at a time as well? Like, you think the whole body of the object would just go all together? Yeah, yeah. I, well, they're definitely separate objects. Um, yeah, they weren't linked by anything. Um, yeah, very individual. Yeah, okay, right. But yeah, even then, like, you think they'd all sort of just travel together instead of just stopping at the one point and then one go at each time. Hmm, for sure. For sure. And the fact that you um, even saw the object above these, like, through the break of the clouds and that, um, do you think they'll be sort of trying to hide a little bit better than what they are? They sort of are. Well, I... <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I just caught that a glimpse of that um, craft up higher. It just sort of the, the cloud broke, and then I, was, I watched it. I actually took a photo of it, and then I brought it home and I, I blew it up on the screen. I haven't got the photo anymore. I don't know what happened to it, but um, I just blew it up as large as I could, and it just pixelated. But it had one pixel that was just silver or white, and that that was the all I could pick up on that craft or whatever it was. Yeah, no, that's unfortunate. You sort of can't really rely on the pixelations because the pixelations will try and borrow colours and that from surrounding areas to try and make some sort of image. Um, but even still, though, like you sort of get some sort of bit of a shape to it, but unfortunately, when it comes to digital sort of side of things, it's just really not very helpful at all. No, no. I think probably had a better camera if, if I could get hold of that um, professional photographer that was down the fence, if he got anything. He, he might have just shrugged me off and concentrated on what he was doing. Yeah, it sort of uh, makes me wonder if he did, because um, I'd love to go and sort of have an idea what he actually captured, especially having a telescopic scope there, which would have been extremely helpful in that sort of scenario. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. <clears throat> so, so that was... Uh, sorry, go. Yeah, all right. So what, um, what year was this race happening? Uh, that was the 7th of October, 2010. Okay. Right. Um, the next one was exactly twelve years, uh, twelve months after, same place, eighth uh, of October, two thousand eleven. Because we we go this track every year, and I I just kept an eye on the skies over that period, and I I don't know. I seem to get a um a sense of a look up sense for some reason, and I just capture these things, whether something tells me to do it. I don't know why I look up, but I uh, I just I guess got this um, this urge to look up and capture all these sites and stuff. But uh, this was that one night, and I was just we're sitting around the fire having a few beers, and I looked up. Um, we're in the same campsite, same proximity, um, and this night was an absolute clear night as well. Uh, and then, from the same direction, from the top of the mountain, heading west, there was five. I call them lights or orbs. They appeared to be ores, but they were very light, pearly colour. And now, when I say light, I mean they—they they were almost not noticeable. They were that light. They were that faint, uh, and they were in a V formation. And just judging on the the height of um, what this craft or crafts were, um, it would have been—I estimated that it was probably two foot football fields long, and about a hundred metres wide at the back where the V was at the widest point. Um, this thing came over the top, dead silent. Um, yeah, it sort of didn't attract anyone's attention. It was, and it was probably about three or four thousand feet high. And I just looked up, and I, <laughs> the others are sitting around the fire just having a conversation. I thought, I'm not even going to tell them. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I, I noticed that when I told the brother later on what I'd saw, he said, You should have told me, you should have told me. I said, Oh, I know, you're busy talking, but um, yeah, so that was uh, that was that craft, and it, whether it was one craft or whether it was five craft. I've got no idea. It just um, because the light just didn't allow to pick up the shape of anything apart from that they're in a V formation. Um, and I often wondered, you know, whether the cars, because all the cars and the um, the transponders in the cars and that much communication is going on around that track at one time, or whether it's a bit of a draw card for these people or entities or whatever to come to that area and see what's going on and just keep it an eye on things. Um, it's the only thing I can put down as to why. Well, so far I've seen two there. Um, or why they draw to that area? Because there's so much communication goes on, whether it's TV, radio, two-way radios for the tracks and, and cars, and all different frequencies used for their uh, their transponders. It just makes you wonder. Yeah, or they could just be interested in watching the race themselves. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> could be. Could be, could be petrol heads themselves. You never know. Yeah. Uh, they're good. It sort of like makes you wonder too. Like when um, these sort of crafts have been known to come across, um, you know, just people in their normal cars, and that it sort of seems to be like a bit of an interference with radio stations and stuff like that. It sort of makes you wonder if there was maybe interference with the track communications as well as it's sort of approaching. Yeah, I suppose with that one, like unless they were doing some stuff of a night, um, it was all fairly quiet of a night, but um, they might have been downloading their telemetry and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I just it's hard to say. No, definitely no. School sort of got me thinking. Like, um, people claim the sort of triangle shape to be a TR3B, but my understanding with a TR3B is it's got the three lights which are underneath it with the uh, red center light. Um, but there have also been claims of the V craft, like a boomerang shaped one, that have the lights in a like, V formation. Yeah, um, yeah well, I can't remember what that one's called, but I'm thinking it might be that craft. Yeah. Yeah, it was a single light at the front and then two lights halfway back further out and the tail lights all the same size. Um, yeah, just wider again. So either, like I said, either five craft or, or one large craft, but it was it was a massive thing. Absolutely massive. And yeah. quite like... Hey, you're right. Um, yeah, so that was, that was Bathurst done. Um, the next one was... Um, wife and I were in the car, we're heading to Cooma. This was in July 2019. Um, we're about 10 kilometres out of Cooma on the north side of Cooma, but heading south. So we're looking at pretty much the um, Victorian Alps, snowfields, that direction. So as we top the brow of this hill, now from one side of the screen to, this other, to the other, this huge plasma rainbow just went from the left-hand side of the windscreen across and it filled two-thirds of the windscreen down. And um, I thought, oh, what's some sort of meteorite or or something come into the atmosphere? But the thing that sort of caught my eye was that the fact that um, the leading edge of this thing wasn't sharp or it didn't have a glowing point like a meteorite comes in and, and burns and glows and you have a debris field behind it um, when you have all sorts of stuff happening behind the, the main object. This thing had a, like a dark shield, if I just called it like a shield in front of it, sitting at 30 degrees to the horizon, up from the horizon. And as it come across and then from to the right-hand side of the screen, it 
the the light where the shield was leveled out and then just petered out so whatever come into the atmosphere come in on a incline itself hit the atmosphere put out this great plume of plasma absolutely every color of the rainbow and then level off and then um after that point it just petered out so whatever it was i i have no idea but it, it wasn't a to me it wasn't a meteorite because you normally get the meteorite you'll get the the burn and the sparks and, and everything else it was none of that just this color and um yeah it probably lasted for about ooh, probably about eight seconds i suppose eight to ten seconds across the screen as it entered um there was no boom no no sonic boom no near um sound at all like it was a fair way away it was over to me it was, would have been over the victorian border down towards this the southern part of the alps down that way um yeah yeah quite an experience that one but um again we told the people when we got the gender bond we told the people about it and we were just fobbed off as you know no nah, it's just a just a meteorite don't worry about it yeah uh, so like there's definitely like no constant like smoke trail or condensation trail from actually punched in the atmosphere no no nothing like that and like i said with a meteorite you you see the breakup of it you see all yeah. sorts of sparks and stuff coming off it's just this great massive um rainbow flare like it's absolutely incredible any ideas on what the whole concept of that might be well i could <laughs> I could make an assumption, but um, yeah, that's, I, yeah, that's all, me, pretty much well, all we could do. Me, yeah, well, to me, it's it, it could be some sort of craft, and I was trying to gauge some sort of size of this craft when it came in, or or whatever that the solid object was in front. And to me, it was kilometers long, not not a hundred meters. Just the width of the front of this um, this flare was kilometers long, and um, and then it, it flattened, and then entered the the atmosphere down lower. Um, whether it was a craft coming in on that trajectory on that plane and then just using its heat shield as we use with our craft and the um, the space shuttle and then it's just leveled off and done its job and then came into the atmosphere down lowest that's the only thing i can put it down to yeah at least you've taken in consideration the perspective of the things too like seeing that's um like nearly over on the horizon basically and putting the perspective of the size of this thing um you've actually done your homework there and a lot of people think that oh yeah you can see like a little you know craft and then trying to make an assumption that it's like this big massive craft um where it's oh, above you sort of thing you know like um I'm sort of lose myself here i'm trying to say but yeah but you're like you know if you're saying in a in distance there and going with the size comparison you've you've um sort of put a bit of calculation there on how big this thing might have been given the distance that it was from you yeah, um, if like looking at it, if you if it saw a meteorite coming, you'd have like a, a pointed, a, to good to a degree, sort of a pointed shape to the front of that flare. This wasn't a pointed shape. This was very long. Like if I was to stick a finger up at the windscreen, and that's how long it would be in in size, and it come into the atmosphere. So that's whatever that object is. If it was a, a rock or a meteorite and hit the earth, it would have probably destroyed us by now. But it it didn't. It just came in and then leveled off, which is the most unusual thing. Yeah, so what, it just sort of just disappeared over the horizon or it just sort of lost out of view? 
just lost out of view. It, it was dark at that point because the flare sort of just, as it leveled off, the flare went. And then it, it, um, I couldn't see it once it leveled out. I couldn't, I couldn't actually see a craft, but I just see a, a line in front, um, making this disturbance in the atmosphere. Yeah. So and it's line, still glowing red hot. Yeah. And the line virtually was the, um, the start of the flare, if you can, if I could imagine it that way or describe it that way. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's still, that's still pretty incredible. Like, yeah, like you're saying, like, it's definitely not a meteor or anything like that, given there's no yeah. other details of a common, you know, meteorite coming through the atmosphere, so... Yeah, I, I didn't hear anything on reports on radio or anything about any sightings, um, nothing about it, so, uh, yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, yeah, that's that one. No, that, that's amazing. Um, so you've got more? Uh, just one more. It's... Um... I was down, I used to work in Queensland, I used to fly in, fly out, mining up there. So I, um, yep. we used to catch, okay, you catch the plane down in Sydney and then I just got out of the airport there at the long uh, car park, long-term car park. And I, I looked up, I always look at the skies when I get out, just do a quick check. And I looked out off the, off the um, ocean side of Sydney airport and it was probably about nine kilometres out, brilliant clear skies. And I just see this flashing going on out off the airport, like I said, about nine k's out, and it wasn't the usual plane doing its, um, what they do, tracking out there and just waiting to come in. Um, these two, there was two objects, 
they were again they were like a silver bright white color and it looked like they were dog fighting that's the only way i can explain it they would one would raise up and it'd come down at the other one and the other one would raise up and tumble over the other one uh, and i just watched it probably for about a minute but we had a plane to catch so i, I couldn't stand there and see the end of it but um yeah that was that was going off at the end, end of the airport so and there were still planes taking off a landing, so it didn't bother the air traffic controllers what was going on. Um, and the mate I was with, I said, you have a look at that there? He said, oh, just a plane. He said, okay, mate, it's just a plane. Planes do that. Yeah, so what year was this that happened? Uh, look, I've, I've approximated that one about 2013. Yeah, okay, so still a bit before drones, and you know, drones aren't really allowed to be operating around airports, so you can definitely rule them out. Oh yeah, it was too big for drone. It was, um, it was, if that with that earlier one I talked about over Camden, that flashing one, that strobing one, they were about that size. But the two of them looked like they're having a go at each other, just tumbling around, or whether it was one craft sh- shape shifting or whatever they do. Um, yeah, may have been that, but it was just it was that far out. You couldn't sort of decipher whether they were whether it was two or one or whether it was. Um, yeah, they were linked together, just tumbling around out there. But it, it just wasn't normal action of a plane or even a drone. It was just, uh, yeah, doing its own thing. Yeah, and you definitely couldn't mistake it as um, Chinese lanterns or anything like that, just the way they manoeuvred. Oh, no, no. That was happening too quick. They were, tum- they were going too quick. Like, the action from, as, from going from the top to the bottom was, like, within about a second. Okay, wow. They were just like flashing over the top of each other, like they're in a bit of a rumble. Right. So, um, what about maybe even um, like LED kites or something? You know, with a maybe with a light on it. The way they, you know, kites can sort of maneuver pretty quickly. But were they sort of travelling in a fair distance in this time, or to be able to rule no, that out? Were, no, they were more stationary, um, staying at the same horizon. To me, they were staying the same distance off the coast, um, and just going through their action of tumbling around each other. Yeah, I think it was probably too far out for a kite or anything like that. Yep. Um, couldn't, uh, well, they're, so they're, they're even going up and down, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, only marginally, just like upside down, they, they drop a little bit. They weren't going down to the ocean surface and then back up, but they were just holding their altitude. Right, because I'm even trying to rule out maybe um, skydivers with the flares on. Oh, no, I don't know what they'd be doing out there. For one, no, I wouldn't think so. They were, um, no, it was just straight off the end of the airport. I'd, it'd probably be a no fly zone or anything. Yeah, no, because on the Gold Coast, there they had the um skydivers come through down there quite often, okay, down near an airport. So it's definitely not, um, out of the question on no. that one. There, no, I think, I think too, like for that far out, they were still too big and too, too quick in their actions as to, uh, to be skydivers or anything like that. Right, because they they sort of go down like they with uh, the with the um ones I've seen with the skydivers with the flares and that they sort of go down and then they'll do like big swirly sort of maneuvers. Yeah. Um, and then sort of play and out a little bit, then come back and swirl around again, and you know it's. But if they're sort of like going down, then up, and you know sort of yeah. maneuvering around, oh, that sort it? of defies what a skydiver could do. Then yeah, definitely yeah. rule them out. Yeah, like I said, it was. Uh... It was fairly early in the morning, I think, eight nine o'clock in the morning. So it was, uh, 
Yeah, it's not as if it was a night thing where uh, I, saw, I saw this. It was a, in the daylight. It was extremely bright, flashing. Um, yeah, just another unusual circumstance. Yeah, I can't really see skydivers with flares going out there at 8 o'clock in the morning. It sort of <laughs> defeats the whole purpose of that one. Dodging 737s, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's, that's absolutely incredible. It sort of makes you wonder, because like, it's not the first time I've heard of UFOs sort of having a bit of a dogfight or battle of some sort, you know, like, um, I was spoken to one there with Phil Tyndale there, he saw one there with his brother and that, and yeah, they basically battled where one actually ended up crashing into a tree, so. Wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, there's uh, evidence of damage to the tree the next morning, you know, a bit of a story behind that one, but yeah, absolutely amazing. So it's not the first time I've heard of these things having a bit of a battle out, so it makes you wonder what's going on in the outside world there that we um, aren't mm. seeing behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. A lot we're not told. Definitely. So you, uh, that was your last experience? Yeah, it was. Yeah, and so you also mentioned that um, you sort of dove down the rabbit holes there um, since you were young there and sort of over the years you've been sort of researching into it, keeping an eye on what's going on. What have you sort of found over your time? Uh, look, I'll probably find out more and more, um, more particularly just of late uh, with what's going on around the world. I think a lot of the stuff's been covered up by, let's say, the elites, if you want to go down that rabbit hole. I think um, I think a lot of this information is going to be out to the public down the track. Even Congress in the last two weeks has been making a lot of noise about releasing UFOs and UFO information. Um, I don't know what their play is on that um, at the moment, but uh, just keeping an eye on that. I think governments around the world have been covering up this stuff for, for years, absolute years. Um, whether they don't want us to know because they want it to use this information for their own source, uh, whether they think we'll be what, afraid of what we find out, I've got no idea. Yeah, I think they're trying to do a bit of a soft disclosure thing. There's just uh, sort of stop the mass panic that they're they're afraid of. Um, you know, because like when you looked at the reaction there when uh, they first brought out. Uh, the US military admitting to the fact that UFOs are around here um, no one seemed to really give a shit um, whereas like the UFO community was like oh yes you be finally we're some, getting some sort of disclosure there like we didn't get anything hardcore evidence or you know anything to really say that what these things are Yeah. but the fact that like no one seemed to really care it's like oh okay yep cool right these things are around yeah. No, and then it's well, lots of that, and it's like, well, where's the rest of it? <laughs> where's yeah, this panic right. that they're expecting? I mean, every time there's a good story, they want to close it down. They want to take the footage away. They want to mute all, everyone that's had a been a witness to it. I mean, you've only got to look at that Westall story down in Melbourne, the Westall school, and what happened down there with the teachers, the students, and anyone else that was a witness. They shut them all down, um, took the cameras off the teachers, silenced everybody, uh, and now the the pupils are still coming out saying this did happen. Yeah. Uh, you got the other story with um, a young pilot that went off Victoria to Tasmania, went missing. Yep. Um, I mean, probably a lot of untold stories that have been been hushed up over the years. Um, I don't know, I just think the truth should be told. We're not kids anymore. No, well, that's it. And I feel like if they sort of admitted to this earlier on in the years when these things were actually happening, like they wouldn't, be a, um, a mass panic to what they would be expected today, I think. Um, if they sort of started bringing it out slowly back in those days, 
it'd just be normal these days going, oh, yep, these things are around. Yep, cool, okay. And we're still sort of looking into it maybe. Uh, or we might have had more an idea of what these things actually are. But uh, I think they're sort of like a scared of the, like, you know, the War of the Worlds sort of story that uh, with the radio announcements that they did yeah. back in the 20s, I think it was. I can't remember when it was, but the panic that yeah. sort of created. I think that's what they're afraid of. Hmm. Yeah, I think too with the uh, like the repercussions against some of the religious beliefs around the world, um, what that might bring on or might might create. Um, not that I, I don't think it'll be a, a war thing or a fear thing, but in some people's minds there might be a bit delusional as to how they've been led as far as religion goes and some of the beliefs in religion. Um, that that might be just another aspect of it, but uh, there's political aspects. There's all sorts of things. Yeah, I've even, um, people I've spoken to in the past as well, like they've um, even thinking like the, the way religion covers it up is like these things are demons or fallen angels and sort of stuff. So that, that's their explanation to what these things are. Um, you know, it's it's not a weird concept, but it's, in the end, like we don't know either way, but it's, I suppose that's one way they're going to try and cover up the reality that these things could be from another world in the universe. It's, it's just a, a weird one to think that it could be a godly aspect where these are fallen angels or from, you know, the demon world down yeah. in hell. I suppose, so you've got to respect what we've been taught and what a modern era we live in as opposed to those people back two, 3,000 years ago when these books, or even earlier when these books and Bibles and um, Sumerian texts were written, um, just how, um, how they perceived these things to happen. And we, we're in a mechanical world now but they weren't. So that was the way they wrote it. That's how they perceived it. And that's how they've, they've sort of pushed it on through the years. Um, I mean, the Bible itself has been cut and pasted quite a few times, uh, probably to see religious orders of the day. Um, and maybe some of this stuff's been cut out of it just to take away some of the, I don't know, what do you call it? The reality. The reality, yeah, more so out of it for sure. Yeah, because like even then, um, back in the ancient days, they like they'll, if these beings were coming down and interacting with humans at that time, they like they were pretty much worshiping them as gods. You know, and I suppose that's probably one way we can sort of look at it in a religion sense that they could be mistaken as a godly sort of demonic sort of entities as such. Yeah, yeah. Whether whether they were good angels or bad angels or um, yeah, fallen angels, whatever they want to call them. Yeah, it's hard to say, Anthony. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I suppose it's one of those little wormholes that just sort of no. keep going around and around. And you're like, oh, well, I don't know. Like you sort of like you like you sort of dive into it and go, look, it, it does sound convincing. And like you know, you sort of start thinking, you head like, could it really be something like that? And then you sort of like got to bring yourself back to the level ground and going, hang on, look, I'm not going to go and dive in this too much deeper because it just it could exactly. be. A um, trying to think how to put it now, like you know, it, it could warp you in a sense to like where you you get get um too indulged in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Just go on a, off on a tangent somewhere that you don't want to go to, and you know, sort of take you off your train of thought. Yeah, and the next thing you could be like, it might send you down the wrong path, and you start getting too deep into the conspiracies and such like. Like each conspiracies probably have a bit of truth behind it depending on how much truth there is to these 
uh, conspiracies, obviously, but you know, there's obviously got to be some sort of form of truth behind them for some people, someone to actually come out. And it goes like a bit like Chinese whispers, you know, someone could actually tell you the truth and then someone will relay that and then it just keeps getting warped from there. Well, that's right, yeah. And uh, so that's the hardest part, really, when it comes to this sort of thing. Like, you know, how much is, well, even what you're saying with the Bible, you know, like how much of it is actually getting copied and pasted or even being warped to sort of tell you what the information, what's going on sort of thing. Yeah, or to suit those that um, were in rule at the time. Yeah. Which is, it's been happening in the, what, the last hundred years at least. Yeah, and it's a shame really. Like, I'll, The truth goes a long way and it can harm a lot of things as well. But, you know, in the end, the truth has got to come out regardless whether or not they want it to. Yeah, I think we'll definitely see that. I think um, I won't take it down that rabbit hole, but I'll, I think the truth will come out um probably the next 12 months, a lot of it anyway, as to what's been going on around the world. And um, I look forward to that. Yeah, I wasn't expecting maybe 12, 12 months. I was maybe thinking maybe a few more years. That's just my opinion. But um, it'll only be, To me, it'll only be the start of it. But um, yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping we're going to get something that's a bit more, um, a bit more hardcore in the evidence sort of things, you know, like something that's, that can't be discredited, can't be blown off as something that can be easily mistaken as another object, you know? I want, I'm hoping we'll get something that's in that high quality, you know, got some little alien being or something, you know, some sort of entity <laughs> waving out the window going, hey, g'day, I'm out, I am here. You know, yeah. that, that's that's what I want to see, but I know yeah, we're not going to yeah, get it. No, no, don't want to scare the people straight up. No. So, yeah, it's, it's a shame... Like the years, like the stigma that's been attached to this whole topic over the last 50 odd years, you know, it, it's it's a good thing that's finally come out and, um, you know, people are starting to open up a bit more to the idea that these things are around and starting to talk more about it, you know, being a bit more open to it and the ridicule behind it is slowly disappearing. Yeah. The other thing too, it's great having shows like yours where people can come on. I mean, I was a bit standoffish to come on at first, but uh, I thought, no, I need to present what I've got there. Um, I think once people hear more and more stories coming up from the public, they'll probably uh, step up and give their stories as well. Yeah, no, look, I'd love having people on the show, um, especially like yourself, that come on and have these experiences there. And like uh, you've like you've um, tried to, you know, rationalise behind what these objects could have been but you know even i've had a bit of a crack at it and not to try and discredit you or anything like that but you know it, a lot of things do get mistaken out there um but as long as these people are actually trying to um you know um going through the process of elimination to determine what these could be instead of throwing the uh the ufo like you know alien crafts card out there you know it's it's a good thing because like you know it sort of gives more credibility to your experience in a sense where you've tried to determine what it is but you can't explain it so it's got to be something that's not really of this world yeah i know sometimes too you um i've always said that your eyes don't lie but you've got to just fine-tune what you see too um and, and cut out some of the like you say the the muck and the crap but um, and that's what I try to do with those stories. You know, if, if I didn't, if I saw something that wasn't right, I just let it go by. But um, 
there's a specific stories that I'd, I'd seen, stuff that I'd seen. I thought I'm sticking by that because to me that's legitimate. Yeah, that's it. Like, you know, people say like they know what they saw and like you can try and define it and try and come up with an explanation as much as you want, but like, you're not the one that's seen it and so like you can't really deny them of what they're seeing, you know, it's... Yeah, well, I had, like I said earlier, I had uh, family members that used to hang it on me about uh, what I saw and what I, I spoke about until the day that um, the two daughter-in-laws at different times saw stuff um, and they told me their stories. I said, well, and I started documenting it down each time they told me something. Uh, and one daughter-in-law in particular, she was only four or five k's out of town. Every morning, nearly every morning, she'd see orbs floating around uh, a cement works that's or in the gully where the cement works is. Um, and I said, well, get a chance if you've got to stop there, just take a photo of it. And she did one day. She took a photo of these orbs, and they were just like little white things floating around. And she can't explain them. I can't explain them, but they're there. So what about um, in distance comparison to the sizes? Uh, a bit hard to judge for me because I only saw the photo. So she said they were up in the hills... Um, around near that cement uh, cement works, and she, look, I think they're probably around about oh, ten meters across. Oh, Jesus, that's fairly large. Yeah, they're fairly big, and they were they're fairly distant, but uh, they weren't a brilliant white color. They're just like a, a creamy white color. Okay, so that's uh, maybe sort of, got me thinking. They might be uh, min min light. Could be, could be similar to those. Yeah. What time of the days were this? Well, she was heading to Wollongong for work, so it was probably 7.30 in the morning. And then one night, one day she rang me coming back from Wollongong up Mount Uzi. She said, I just saw another one in front of me um, at the other stretch of that road, which is 40 minutes down the track. Um, she saw one in front of her above the trees. But she, because she was driving, she never took a photo of that one. Yeah. What time of year do you remember it all? Uh, that was on and off all the time she was working down Wollongong, which was probably over the... Um, 18 months right because I was trying to like sort of get an idea um, given the time of season like um, you know given it's winter time you know where the days are a bit shorter so the time of the day like light's starting to come up a little bit um, yeah sure Look, I, could put, I couldn't put my finger on a, an actual date time yeah because um, I'm just generally, trying to... you're right you're right just uh, generally in the morning uh, she saw most of them um, around that 7.30 time yeah, because I'm just trying to go with the the theory that they have to explain these min min lights. Like, I'm not a great belief on the theory, but the idea is basically they're trying to say like, you know, the the light bending on, uh, you know, moisture in the air and all sorts of stuff or gases that are surrounding the areas or whatever, and you know, sort of trying to create these sort of orbs. Like that's basically their explanation to what the um, the min min lights are. That's I don't know, it, it seems a bit far-fetched because like, people are seeing these things in the middle of the night, and, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, that's what I was trying to sort of think of, like, given that it's like 7.30 in the morning, you know, lights sort of up there depending on the time of the year and that, um, if that did sort of play a part on it. But if it's going sort of like all year round, then, you you know, the sun's getting up at like 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock. Yeah, and by that time, 7.30 in the morning, by that time, it's, the sun's only in the middle of the sky, so... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's definitely some strange things that happen around and um, yeah, I'm hoping one day we'll really know what everything is that goes around that people are seeing. 
Yeah, I think that that day will come. We'll just got to wait for that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, mate. Um, look, you also talking about um, when we first started the show. There, uh, you're talking about like a bit of a paranormal aspect. If you want to touch on that, if you still got a bit more time. Yeah, look, no problem. I spoke to the daughter-in-law to see if I was okay to tell this story because it involves a father. Um, yeah, just a bit of background on it. Her father uh, had a car accident here, probably about when this episode happened. She had a um, he had a car accident and he, he burnt to death in the car, unfortunately. Um, and I I never knew him. Um, and then some years later, probably two or three years later. Um, we weren't home at the time, but my daughter-in-law was there, my son, daughter-in-law, and my um, daughter-in-law's sister and her two kids were in the house, and this is one evening. So what had happened, they were sitting around the table talking. The daughter-in-law's sister went up to change the baby, had two kids, one little fellow about three years old called Diesel, and the other one was just a bub. So she went up to change the bub up the bedroom up the hallway. The child, uh, Diesel went to follow the mum up and he got half up the hallway and he said, he looked up at the end of the wall at the hall and he said, there's fire poppy up on the wall. Anyway, this is a story relayed from my sons and he wrote it down, typed it all out. And she said, um, they, they went up to him. They said, what do you mean? He said, he's up there. Fire poppy's up there. And now this kid had never known his grandfather. He didn't know the story behind what happened to his grandfather yet he's pointing out this guy at the end of the wall fire poppy so anyway the young bloke picks him up and as he does the cat walks past them up the hallway and looks up to where fire poppy was on the wall or supposed to be and the cat just arcs up hair stands up on the back of its neck and just bolts out out of the hallway um and then my son picks diesel up and he said do you want to talk or, or go up the fire poppy yeah and he goes near him he said no no he's hot he's hot so anyway he backs it backs away and he said well what's what's fire poppy wearing and he said he got purple on so he got the um and what happened um this grandfather at the time used to be a boiler maker so he used to wear old the, the old wife basher singlets they used to bleach out and go purple in color yep and that was that was mainly what he dressed in so this kid knew that Anyway, so he's this, this is all happening and different stuff's happening and he's gone up and he's he sort of gone to him and went to touch him, but he said, no, it's still hot, still hot. So this is starting to sort of freak a few people out in the house. So they, that incident happened and they come back to the kitchen and they started talking about it around the, the table and they said to Diesel, they said, where's Fire Poppy now? So he, he said, he looks around the room, he said, oh, here he is here. And he goes, and he sort of followed him where he, he come down the hallway and followed the, by the look of his turn of his head over to where Fire Poppy was standing now in the kitchen. He said, oh, Fire Poppy's got a sore leg. Now, I didn't know this until uh, my daughter-in-law told me later that he'd also had a bad hip. Now, this kid saw whatever he saw go across the floor with a bad leg and stand there. And it just blew my young my son away. He just <laughs> he didn't know what to think about it. But, um, yeah... It was just one of the one of the experiences there, as far as like paranormal stuff goes. So I think kids have a pretty good perception of um, young kids like that of all sorts of stuff. They talk to their friends, their imaginary friends, and all sorts. So whether they've got some sort of perception as as far as um, 
paranormal ghosts. It's yet to be seen. Yeah, no, that that's an incredible experience. Like I've even heard, um, like I've had some friends there when I was growing up, um, where they had a kid. He was maybe like maybe one or two years old, and I think it was a kid's birthday or something. Like that, and he's walking down the hallway with his hand up in the air, like as if he's holding someone's hand. And it was not long before that where I think it was the grandmother passed away. Yep. And same sort of thing, just walking along and like they're like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "Oh, I'm holding such and such hand." It's like. Right. Oh well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's really scary when you think about it. Like, because like we're always so reliant on what we see and perceive and such like that, and we're so reliant on it. when something like that happens there. We're, it's sort of like really un- unnerving. Hmm. Yeah. It, look, it was a very unusual situation. You know, normally, see some people see some sort of image or or something like that, but to have to see a child pick out stuff about his grandfather he'd never met, he never knew the story behind, um, and then to watch him walk across the floor with a hop. Now, another, just expanding on that, another unusual situation with the same person, um, my daughter, who the daughter-in-law, and my son, actually, they were in our place while they were building their home. So they finished building their home, and it was all but finished, and um, the daughter-in-law took their daughter at the time, which is, um, she was about two, I think, down to their home. Their home was built off the ground a bit, so they walked under the house, and as she walked under, um, the little girl looked back, and she said, oh, there's a man over there, and spotted someone standing in under the house, but there wasn't, so he couldn't see it. So she just bundled up the daughter and pulled her out and yeah, sort of took away from it. Um, and then sometime later, I was, I was at home, and I was standing in the kitchen, I just thought to myself, how fortunate I am to be here and being a grandfather to the young granddaughter and um, experiencing her grow up and have fun and everything else. And I just said in my mind, and this is pretty unbelievable, I just said in my mind, Curtis, who was the, who was the grandfather's name, I said, Curtis, if you want to experience your daughter through me, that's okay. And within seconds, I got this rush of tingling through my body, head to toe for 15 seconds or more, as a zinging up and down my body. I'm zinging now telling the story. <laughs> and um, it was like a, a sense of euphoric feeling. Um, it was joyous. It was lovable. And I started giggling because it was that's how it felt. And as it sort of finished, I said, you're welcome. Because I think he took the opportunity. To, this is what my mind is. He took the opportunity to do that, experience his granddaughter through me. So... Yeah, that's just another bit of weirdness going on there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, because um, the reason why we're sort of going down this path there is because, like, you know, there is a a spiritual sort of connection that there's people have claimed, like researchers down the uh, the years of claiming paranormal and UFO or even alien beings or whatever. There's some sort of connection there, you know, and it sort of makes you wonder what the connection is. But you know. It, People have an experience there where they can see paranormal or even um, the ability of seeing crafts in the sky and all sorts of stuff at the same time. So it makes you wonder, like, what's their connection to spiritual aspect of things? Like, you know, like, what's different in their mind to be able to have these experiences there? And, like, you were saying that you've um, seen all these different crafts and objects and that, and even having your own sort of paranormal or even your family as well sort of makes it think like your family has some sort of broader 
connection, something or something strange going on there that we don't seem to really understand. Hmm. Yeah, I think if you if you're open to it, um, you're accepting of it. You'll probably see those sort of things. I think if you're closed-minded um, or put shields up, whatever you want to call it, um, I think you you probably won't see it or don't want to see it. Um, I think that yeah, there is a. I, I think, like I said, you've got to open yourself up to wanting to believe this that sort of thing can happen, or you can see these sorts of things. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's like the biggest part of it too. You have to really be. Um open-minded to the whole aspect of these things you know because a lot of people that's where a lot of the ridicule comes from like you know people just think you're a crazy drugged up psycho you know <laughs> some sort of crazy person that belongs in a mental house but the fact is like people are seeing these things around the world and not everyone's on crack or have mental issues you know these a lot of people have a high regard um you know positions in governments you know police whatever you know some sort of higher aspect in society and they're even having these experiences there like so there's no discrimination between mental wellness or you know these things are happening to people around the world so you can't deny these people of their experiences no no i think um i think everyone can do it has got the opportunity to do it if they want to so uh, uh it's all out there to see experience yeah absolutely and i suppose that's um I suppose personal preference, really. Like people are saying, they want to go and see these things, and I suppose if um, if a spiritual sort of sense, you know, broadening, like sort of helps broaden or open your mind up, I think this might be the path to go on. People to sort of look down and um, try and open themselves up a lot broader to hopefully experience something. Yeah, I've, I've I haven't done a lot of the spiritual side. I think uh, just those few experiences we've had at home um it sort of spooks me a bit sometimes but uh uh just to know what's there's something different going on there that um it's it's interesting for me very interesting yeah no definitely like so have you uh, like um had like any experiences like possible abductions or maybe missing time that you're aware of no nah, look i've had nothing like that I've, I've heard of a lot of the others on your the other podcasts that you've had but no nothing like that nothing with family members either or that they might have mentioned no, no, I can't put my finger on anything. Um, there's been some other paranormal stuff that um, that's happened around the place, but uh, I won't talk about that one. No, you're right. No, that's fair enough. No, look, either way, it's still amazing and um, incredible, like, especially like, the sightings you've had there. That just mind-blowing, especially the translucent one. That one's got me really intrigued and in, um, what these sort of translucent sort of objects are that, uh, that seem to be getting around that don't seem to have some sort of mechanical or some sort of, you know, structure to it, except for maybe like a biological sort of formation to them. Yeah. And I, I look, I brought that conversation up with the guy I sat with that day uh, with his family around and he virtually went into silence, didn't want to talk about it. Uh, it's pretty unusual because to me that was just awe-inspiring stuff. You know, a story to be told and um, he didn't want to tell it or didn't want to be associated with it which I think is I don't know to be it's just that's unusual it is and I think that's just the thing like if we don't understand it we sort of clam up a little bit there like you know it's mind-boggling I suppose is one way to put it because you just 
you just got no idea. It defies all our known logic that we've sort of grown up with. Uh, yeah, our well, normal sense of reality. Yeah, well, it's just to me, it's just not normal. You know, a lot of the stuff I saw, uh, it's, it, a lot of stuff I could see that wasn't man-made. Um, it wasn't normal stuff, and that's why I started documenting. I thought, no, I better before I even start forgetting about it, I'll uh, I'll put it down on paper or on hard drive. So. Yeah, no, you've done well there because a lot of people just sort of just, um, rely on their memory and at least you've um, sort of written it down as soon as possible to try and get a bit of an idea. So, Because, like, you know, memory does change and we sort of forget a few little minor details here and there that could really help the scenario. But um, now you've done well there sort of writing it down so sort of trying to get it on paper at least anyway. Yeah, well, cheers, mate. Well, that's, that's about my stories anyway, Anthony, so... Uh... Yeah, no, you having me on here today. No, no, it's my, it's absolutely my pleasure having you on here. Um, and uh, hopefully um, everyone else will be enjoying the stories here because like, I'm surely, sure a lot of people would have um, seen some sort of, you know, weird, translucent sort of objects flying around. You know, like I was saying earlier, like it's some sort of jellyfish that, I don't know, it's a weird concept. But yeah, look, there's a lot of strange things yet that are going on around the world. We don't understand what's going on. And people like yourself that are... Um, brave enough to come on the show there to talk about their experiences like it's um i'm very thankful for you guys to come around come reaching out to come on the show there because uh, a lot of things are going around the world we don't understand and the only way we sort of really understand what's going on is by people like yourself talking about it to sort of get a bit of an idea what's happening really yeah well it's been my pleasure anthony anyway so thank you no worries mate no well, thank you very much for coming on the show mate and um yeah look forward to talking to you soon yeah, well, let's hope something else comes up. Yeah, definitely, mate. Again, mate, thank you very much, and um, yeah, all the best. Yeah, same to you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. And that will do it, folks, for this episode of Encounters Down Under. I hope you enjoyed the show, and remember, you can also get involved in the show by joining the Facebook page and getting in on the live streams. Also, please be sure to share with your friends and family to help us grow and potentially find our next guest on the show. If you or you know someone who has had an encounter, please get in touch with me through our Facebook page via Messenger or email at australianufosightings at outlook.com.au. I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hoo root. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.